Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, welcome to River Glen. Good to be together with you. Those of you joining us online, wherever you might be, uh, great to have you with us today. We're really excited for one church over in Pittsburgh. That's awesome. And we're also really excited about Easter. We've got Easter coming up in just two uh, weeks. We've got big weekend planned. We've got Good Friday service at noon in the Family Life Center. We've got three identical Easter services, 5 o'clock Saturday, 9 and, and 10.30 on, on Sunday. And on Saturday, look at this, we're going to have a helicopter doing an egg drop. It's going to be a lot of fun after the service on Saturday. And then we've got a cereal breakfast bar type deal before every service. So don't miss it and be a great weekend to invite a guest to come with you to get us thinking about Easter and preparing us uh, spiritually for Easter. Last week, we launched a new series that we're calling uh, Last Words, Famous Last Words, focusing on the last seven words, last seven statements that Jesus spoke while he hung dying on the cross. Last words are powerful. People have nothing to lose. They speak just unfiltered words, and you get a chance to, to really see their true heart. Now, when I planned this series, I knew we wouldn't have time to you know, look at all seven of these, so I had to narrow it down. And I chose today's statement because it raises an issue. It raises a question that causes many people to struggle with their faith. It even causes people to sometimes even walk away from their faith or not believe in God. I know in, in, in the past when we've done surveys and we've said if you could have uh, any question answered from the Bible, what would you ask? And by far, this is the number one question. There's, really, there's not even a close second for people who don't follow Jesus. People that you know that are not Christian, this is their top question. And one of the reasons why I think this is such a, a common question, a popular question, an issue that people struggle, struggle with, is because many people have preconceived ideas about God. A, pa a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley talks about this in a message series that he gave recently. Many of us believe in a version of God and this version of God has got some truth in it. Maybe as a child, somebody told us about God. And this version of God's not all wrong, but it distorts him just a little bit. For example, here's a, a version of God that I think I believed in. Uh, many of us maybe believed in growing up. Bodyguard God. Maybe a priest, maybe your parent, maybe a pastor told you that God is all-powerful. God is all loving, and you grew up with this idea that God's going to protect you uh, from, from anything bad uh, ever, ever happening in your life. God's going to take care of you. And sometimes God does protect us, but he's not always bodyguard God. That version of God is not the real God. And so what happens as we get older, you know, we see some really awful things. Bad things happen to some good people. And we ask this question that millions of people ask every week. Why would a good and loving God allow bad things to happen to, to, to good people? You see things happen in our world. Like just a few weeks ago, the shooting in Florida, 17 innocent people killed. And it's hard to reconcile the pain and suffering and injustice with a good and loving God. Many people can't reconcile a good God with bad things happening in our world, and they say, forget it. I'm out. I'm not going to believe anymore. Maybe some of you here today, maybe if you're honest, you know, you, 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 your faith's a little shaky, you know, right now. And uh, maybe, maybe you'd say, you know, I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody in my row to know. Um, 
but I'm still, I'm still coming. I'm still here. I've got some doubts, but I'm still, I'm still singing. I'm singing with everybody. I'm still, I'm still giving. I'm still bringing my kids. But the truth is my faith feels a little bit shaky, and it's because of this issue. And if that's you, you know what? I'm so glad that you're here today because we are going to talk about uh, this issue. We're going to talk about this question. Here's how it shapes up in the minds of, of, of many people. If God is good, then he would do something to end the pain and suffering in the world. Or if God could, if he was just powerful enough, okay, then he would, then he would end the suffering and pain in the world. So he either lacks good or could. He either lacks one of those things. And the way some people in our world respond is they say there's no God at all or at least not the God of the Bible who's all powerful and all good. And so today I want to talk about why would God allow pain and suffering and injustice to continue in our lives, in our bodies, and in our, in our world. But before we dive into that, I want to give a word of caution. If you or somebody you know has ever used somebody else's pain or the pain of the, the world to build a case against God, we need to be careful about doing that. And the reason we need to be careful about doing that is for many people, their pain and suffering put them on a path to God. I've seen this. I've traveled. I've seen some horrible suffering, some, some absolutely horrible, horrific poverty. But yet in the midst of it, people whose faith in God seems to increase. And so we need to be careful about hijacking other people's pain and suffering because so many people have come to believe in God. So many people have found God because of their pain and suffering. I like the way author, author and pastor Andy Stanley uh, talks about it. He says, injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God, which means that it ma- makes more sense to be angry than to be an atheist. I think, that's, I think that's true. I think it's a powerful way to say it. And then he continues on. It makes perfect sense to be angry with God, but it doesn't make any sense to be an atheist based on the pain and suffering in this world. And again, I think that's true. Let me try to put this in some everyday language for us. Let me apply this to my family. I've got three kids. I've got, got uh, Taylor and, and Will and, and Ryan. And uh, let's just pretend that my youngest son, Ryan, he's 19. He goes to college in Minnesota. Let's just pretend that he, he comes home for a, a weekend and you see him out there in the lobby. He doesn't want to come in here because he's, you know, heard dad preach a few times before. And so he's out there in the lobby. You run into him. And, and let's say that uh, you say, Ryan, you know, I, I know who you are. And I see your dad's up there giving a the message today. Your dad's doing a pretty good job giving the message. And uh, Ryan looks back at you and says, oh, yeah, I guess my dad's doing, doing a good job. But he's actually being kind of a jerk today. I came home from college a day, a day and a half ago, and I must have said something because my dad hasn't spoken a word to me. You know, my dad's this old man, but he's acting like a teenager, and he's not, he's not speaking to me. And you go, oh, wow, really? And then he says, my dad promised to take me to a Bucks game on Friday night. Friday night, he said, we're not going anywhere. And I'm basically starving. I haven't had anything to eat for a day and a half, and I'm just walking around right now looking for donuts, looking to see if we've got any donuts out here. In the, uh, in the lobby. Now listen, if you start talking to one of my kids, and my kid talked about me that way, you would question my goodness, but you wouldn't question my existence, right? The fact that you're talking to one of my kids is proof that I exist. 
And so when it comes to God in our lives and what he's doing in our world, can we question his goodness? I think we can. I think we can question his goodness, and I think we can get upset and that sort of thing. But to call into question his existence, that just doesn't make any any sense. That's why on the cross, as Jesus hung there dying, feeling excruciating pain, and as he took his last breath, and as he spoke his final words from the cross, Jesus didn't question the existence of God, but you know what? He did question why a good God would allow him to suffer and experience such pain on the cross. Let's take a look at the scene here and see what we can learn about how to respond to pain and suffering in our lives today. Matthew 27 says, from, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, means screamed out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He speaks these words about six hours into the ordeal of the cross. He's already experienced the physical pain of the whipping and the nails and the crucifixion. He's experienced the relational pain, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of his disciples, of his friends. But now comes the most painful moment. Jesus experiences what he came to do. I mean, he didn't come primarily to teach or heal, although he did those things. He came primarily as a savior. He came to save his people by taking our sins upon himself. Tim Keller says, Jesus was experiencing the most painful rejection possible in the moment that he speaks these words. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he explains it as the difference between being rejected by a church member and being rejected by his wife. He says, if if a member of the church who attended for a long time said, Tim, I never want to see you again, that would really hurt. But he says, "If, if my wife spoke those words to me, it would cut so much deeper. And he explained that Jesus experienced, think about this, all the negative consequences of judgment day in that moment as he hung on the cross. That's why it says that in the middle of the afternoon, the sky turned dark. I asked our team to kind of darken the room just a little bit to recreate the atmosphere. Here's why it turned dark, because Jesus became sin on the cross. Scripture says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. In other words, on the cross, Jesus became hatred, murder, rape, adultery, jealousy, envy, lying, and on and on and on. And when Jesus became sin on the cross, he became the object of God's wrath And God the Father had to reject his son in that moment. That's why Jesus cries out. He screams out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not saying, why have you allowed them to drive nails and spikes in my hands and feet? No, he's recognizing the agonizing reality that God the Father has rejected him in this this moment. But I want you to notice something about this statement Jesus makes. It's easy to gloss over. Even though Jesus becomes sin in that moment, He holds on to his faith. Notice how Jesus refers to God, not in a general way. He says, my God. He personalizes it, my God. And he uses the covenant name for God. Jesus holds on to his faith in God through the darkest moment of his life. And here's, here's the reason why. Because he trusts that God the Father has a purpose, a good purpose for the pain and suffering he endured on the cross. See, there's a problem 
There's, there's, there's a problem with the premise that if God is good, he would end suffering, or if God could, he would end suffering. The problem with that premise is just because pain and suffering doesn't make sense to us, it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have a purpose. I know that's a hard pill for us to swallow. And I'm not trying to offer like a quick fix today. I know this is a complicated issue and I don't expect you to walk out of here today going, oh, I totally get pain, suffering, injustice. I'm never going to have to talk about it again. No. But God did have a reason for the pain and suffering of Jesus. And God has reasons for allowing us to suffer. Here's the first reason why God would allow this in, in our lives. First of all, suffering and pain can actually get you where you need to be even faster. That's one of the reasons why God allows it. That's one of the ways that God uses it. I came across an old saying from the 17th century. Uh, sailors, sailors hundreds of years ago who lived on the seas, they would say something like this, that when a storm comes up in the sea, if you will hold on to the wheel, if you will keep the rudder steady, that storm will actually blow you where you want to go even quicker. The, that, that wind will sweep you up. It'll fill your sails if you hold on to the wheel, if you keep that rudder steady. Now, if in the middle of the storm, you know, you let go of the wheel, basically give up, then, yeah, you know, who knows? I mean, you may end up in a far worse place than when you began because of the storm. But I think that's how God uses, God often uses the pain and suffering and injustice in our lives. Take a look at this verse in Proverbs 20. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. It's simple, but it's true. Sometimes it's the pain that wakes us up and says, oh man, you need to turn around. You need to think about this. You need to pause in the direction that you're going, in your friendships, in your career, in your finances. Look at the way Peter Kreft says it. The meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. And I think if we, if we dig down and, and see how God uses it, not always, not always, but a lot of times in our world and in our lives, the reason it comes is because God is trying to get us to notice something so that we turn around and come back closer to him. That's why we experience some of the pain and, and suffering in our lives. I like what Jim Cimbala, another pastor from New York City, says about this. He says, he says, God's trying to do something more than just give us a smooth life. Now, is God against that? Not necessarily. He's just trying to make us like Jesus. He cares more about producing Christ-likeness than he does the American dream. It's powerful, isn't it? And I think it's true. The suffering and storms and pain and injustice that we see or experience can make us change our ways and it can move us where God wants us to be even quicker. That's part of the way that he uses it. Here's another reason, if you're writing this down. Suffering and pain allow you to grow stronger. It actually strengthens and deepens you as a person. Now, I don't like to hear that. I don't like to think about it, but it's true. Look at this section of scripture from Romans with me. It says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Say this word out loud with me. Would you say rejoice? Rejoice. That's a radical idea, isn't it? We don't, in other words, you know, we don't sidestep suffering. We don't, we don't try to eliminate suffering. We don't avoid it at, at all costs, which is something that I try to do. I try to eliminate them, go around them. No, it says we rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, 
and character, hope. When we go through these things, if we allow it, it will it'll deepen us. It'll strengthen us. It'll grow us even if we don't want to be grown. Let's take a moment here. Look at this picture. And as you can tell, it's, it's a, a mountain range. It's pretty obvious to you. But here's the question I want you to think about. Where is the growth happening? Where do you see the growth happening in this, in this picture? It's, it's down in the valley, right? That, that, that's where the growth often happens in our, in our lives, down in the, in the valley. It's not on the mountaintop. Now, we love mountaintop experiences. And... Uh, uh, do we hope to have more mountaintop experiences in our life? Do we want to pray and plan for more mountaintop experiences in our life? Absolutely, for sure. But do, do we want to live on the mountaintop? No, because that's not where the growth occurs. The growth occurs down in the valleys in our lives. The greatest growth that you and I experience oftentimes occurs during the tough times in the valleys of life. And that's why I believe a big part of the reason why God continues to allow pain, suffering, and injustice is, 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 is so that we see, and, not, and again, not always, this is not always the reason, but a lot of times it's so that it's, it's to make us much stronger and to grow us for something that he has next in our lives. If you're taking notes, here's a third reason. Suffering and pain, third reason God allows it is to, is to comfort so that we can comfort other people. And this one, to be honest, I don't understand as well as, as, as many of you, and I'm not sure that I always want to understand it, but I believe it is true. A big part of why we experience what we experience is so that we can help other people, so that we can comfort other, other people. Take a look at this scripture in 2 Corinthians. This would be a great one to come back to later and study it with your kids or your grandkids or your friends. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah. Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And look at this, before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. There's just something powerful about it. When you're going through hard times, when you're going through some pain and suffering, to have somebody else, maybe across the table, maybe you're sitting over, over coffee, and they look you in the eye, and they say, you know what? I understand. I get it. I have been where you are. I was there a while back, and I want you to know I hate it for you, but I understand where you are. That's powerful, and it makes sense, doesn't it, that God would, would work in this way, that God would use his people, that God would use his church so that we, when we see other people in need, we would comfort them. Think about this, if you're struggling with, struggling with some sort of addiction, maybe an addiction to alcohol, you're working through that addiction, which is not easy, and when you're trying to work through an addiction like alcohol, probably the last person that you want to sit down with and share a meal with is a person who's never had a drop of alcohol. I mean, praise God for them. That's fantastic for them, but... Uh, when you're struggling, you want to be around somebody who has been where you are, who can look across the table and, and say, listen, I know how hard this is. I know how it may be messing up your finances, messing up your work. And I want you to know, I was right where you are. And I made it through. And, and I believe you can too. There's power in that. Many of you know about, that about uh, almost two years ago, my wife went through treatment. Marnie went through treatment for breast cancer, and uh, she went through about six months of treatment, which was 
which was uh, 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 difficult. And at times she questioned, why is God allowing this? But that experience has opened up so many golden opportunities for her to encourage and help and comfort other people. And, and I've seen how it brings her joy. It brings her fulfillment to know that what she learned from what she experienced, she can use to help other people, to encourage and comfort other, other people. See, see, a lot of times what happens when we go through pain and suffering in our lives, what, what we do is we look back and we say, you know, did I, did, did, did I do something to cause this? Did somebody else do something to cause this? Was there something I could have done to avoid this? We look back and we try to unravel how we could have avoided it, but maybe when we get into pain and suffering in our lives, instead of, instead of looking back when we're in the midst of pain and suffering, if we can, maybe, maybe, maybe we look forward and start asking because of the situation that I'm in right now, you know, I wonder who is someone, maybe, maybe in a few months, maybe in a few years, that I'll be able to come alongside and help because here's a great promise. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. It's true. I don't always understand it. I don't always necessarily like it, but, but, it's, but it's true. God doesn't waste a hurt. Could it be that part of the pain that you're experiencing right now in your life or in your family, only, only part of it is for you and part of it is for somebody else that, that, that God needs you to come alongside and help Maybe in a few months, maybe in a few years. I think that's very likely true. I think scripture teaches that. Here's one more reason for pain and suffering. It, it keeps your focus on heaven. It keeps your focus, keeps our focus where it, where it needs uh, to be. And I don't want to diminish anybody's pain and suffering today, but it does help. It does help to take a long-term perspective on it. Let me, uh, let me describe it this way. Let's say that at the beginning of this year, the first day of 2018, you just have a really bad day, an awful day. You know, the middle of the day, you have to go to the dentist for an emergency root canal. In the middle of your root canal, the, the uh, uh, anesthetic wears off, and you are just in enormous uh, pain. And then on your way home, you get in a car accident. You total your car, and the car that you hit is your spouse's car. And that car is totaled too. Really bad day. And then you come home and, uh, you know, you, you call for your dog or you expect your cat to come up against your, your leg and uh, you don't even see them. You, you figure that your dog uh, ran away. You look out back and your, and your cat is, is laid over, rolled over, and uh, not, not moving. And so your dog has run away and your cat is not moving. And at least one of those things is bad. Uh, it's just a really bad day bad day. And that's the first day of the year, and it's terrible. But here's what happens the next day, and the rest of the year just gets better and better. The second day of the year, you have an uncle. You didn't even know you had this uncle. You have an uncle that dies and leaves you $42 million. Yeah, you've got $42 million in cash coming your way. And you're thinking things are turning around. Things are getting better. Things are getting better. And then, you're, then your dog comes home. And you look back in the backyard, your cat flipped up, your cat's moving around, your cat's alive. It's just blissful and great. You enjoy a great vacation in Hawaii. In fact, you start doing a whole lot of benevolence work around the city to help people, help serving people in need. You do so much benevolence work. By the end of the year, uh, the Waukesha Freeman puts your picture 
on the front page. You are their person of the year. And, and that's how the year, that's how the rest of the year goes. And let's say, at the, let's say at a New Year's Eve party, a friend of yours comes up and says, how, how was your year? And you say, it was just amazing. It was great. It was the best year of my life. And they say, I was thinking back, didn't it start out bad? And you'd say, yeah, that's true. It did start out bad. That was a, that was a terrible day. But the 364 amazing days far outweigh that one really bad day. And some of you know where I'm going uh, with this. I think heaven is going to be a lot like that. And again, I don't mean to diminish anybody's pain or suffering today. I mean, it may go on the rest of your days. But I believe in heaven. And after about five billion absolutely perfect days and infinitely more to come, if somebody were to walk up to you and say, how has your existence been? You would respond and say, it's unbelievable. Look at what I have. Look at what I'm experiencing. Look at what I have yet to come. This is amazing. And they say, didn't it, didn't it start out bad, though, before you got up here? I heard you had a tough time on earth. And you might say, yeah, no denying that. It was difficult. But I, when, I, when I put that into comparison with this, that's not even worth mentioning. See, I think a big part, a big purpose of the pain and suffering and injustice that we experience is to remind us this is not our home. And God's building a perfect home for us. God's building a perfect home for you because he loves you. I want you to hear the story of a, a local friend of ours who lives in chronic pain. She's experienced great suffering in her life and provides a good example uh, for, for us. Uh, her name is Adriana. Take a look at her story. My name is Adriana Hayes, and I have lived in Wisconsin for over 11 years now, and um, am married uh, to my husband, Chris. We have one biological daughter who's nine years old named Promise, and we just uh, became foster parents, so we have a nine-month-old little foster baby right now, too. Um, I teach part-time at Mount Mary University in their fashion program. I teach fashion illustration and also have... Uh, my own art business where I do custom art orders for people. I was born with um, spina bifida, which is a failure of the spine to form properly within the first six weeks of pregnancy. And I've had 23 surgeries in my 33 years of life. I had my first spine surgery at three months old in San Francisco. And um, from then on, uh, up until about the age of nine, lived a pretty normal childhood. Uh, I had a giant scar down my back that my parents referred to as my zipper. And we would occasionally go to the doctor, have it checked out. Um, I started to notice some changes in um, my walking. Walking became really hard. It felt like something was um, kind of pulling on my legs and my lower back and it made it really difficult to walk. I got really tired. Uh, and then also started to have changes in my bladder function, started to have really severe kidney infections that would put me in the hospital. 
So we knew something wasn't quite right, and I went back in for an MRI, um, and it showed that my spine had retethered or reattached to the scar tissue from my first surgery when I was three months old. And so since I was still in the process of growing, that tightness I felt in my lower back was actually my spine stretching as I grew. Um, so in fourth grade, I went in for my second major spine surgery, um, and that really launched me into a season of suffering and pain that we didn't know was coming. In junior high and high school, I began to experience a lot of the emotional pain that I had out of necessity ignored um, when I was younger. I began to feel really angry whenever anyone would say, oh, I'm so sorry, or I know how you feel, or, um, or, or anything like that because I just remember feeling so alone in my pain and like, no, you don't know how I feel. No one knows how I feel. And that's really, again, when um, the truth of the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross for me started to impact my small life um, really personally because I was like, okay, no, maybe other people around me, they don't understand my pain, but Jesus truly does. I also found comfort in the fact that Jesus questioned these things. He questioned God, um, you know, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned against me, um, turned your back against me? Uh, and um, it gave me the freedom to know that it was okay, that God's big enough for me to ask these questions. In the last four or five years, I've learned how important it is to cling to scripture. Um, and to really let it fill me up. So one of the verses that really uh, spoke to me um, is in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 8 through verse 10. And Paul's talking about that thorn in his flesh. And um, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think one of the hardest things um, about pain is when God chooses not to take it away in the way that we think. Um, you know, at one point in my life, um, I wanted to die. Uh, in in a very suicidal way, but now um, my hope for life after death and my excitement truly for heaven. You know, when Paul says, um, "For me to live is Christ and to die is gain," like I I understand that now because once again, because Jesus faced and took on all of that physical and emotional pain, and because. He let the Father turn his back on him. Um, I never have to experience that. And so that is what truly brings hope and joy um, in the midst of my suffering. Yeah, I talked to uh, Adriana. Let's give her a hand. She attended last night. I talked to her afterward, and she just lives in chronic pain every day. She had her 23rd surgery was a year ago, a major surgery. And uh, you can tell that she's allowed it to, to deepen her, to strengthen her. Now she writes about it, she speaks about it, she, she helps other people, and she lives with a long-term perspective, and that allows her to live with joy.
But maybe you're thinking, that's great, Ben. You know, that's encouraging. That's inspiring. That's true. And it helps. But, Ben, if, if God really loves me, and God's good and, and powerful and loving like we say that he is, why doesn't he end it? I still don't get it. Why doesn't he end suffering and pain? Maybe you've asked that before. Maybe you've had people ask you that question. Why doesn't God just end the, the suffering? And the answer to that question is, 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 is simple. Um, he's going to. He's going to. The scripture's clear. A day will come in the future when God will end all the pain, all the suffering, and injustice. In fact, if you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth with no pain, no tears, no crying, no suffering. But maybe you're, maybe you're saying in your head, then, and why doesn't he just do it? What's, what's he waiting for? Why is he holding back? And I'll tell you what he's waiting for. I'll answer that, that question. I don't know if you want to know the answer, but I can answer that question. What's, what's holding him up? What's he waiting for? I'll, I'll tell you what he's waiting for, if you want to know, if your friends want to know. He's waiting for some of you. He's waiting for some of, for, for some of you. That, that's what's holding him up. There's a scripture in 2 Peter that says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead, he's patient with you. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Could it be that God's actually delaying the day that he will end all the pain, suffering, and injustice so that some of you, some of your friends, some of your kids can actually come to repentance through that pain and come to trust him and accept Jesus as your your leader and forgiver and spend eternity with him in in heaven? Could it be that he's using suffering and pain and injustice to get our attention and to bring us back to him? Could there be a purpose even though we may not see it? Remember, it's the pain and the suffering of Jesus that changes our eternal zip code. That's what started. But God uses it for a good thing to get us where he needs us to be. And on that notion of being where he needs us to be, we're going to continue this series looking at these last words of Jesus for for two more weekends, right up through Easter weekend. And uh, we've got some invitation pieces on your way out. You can grab a handful of these, take as many as you want. These are great tools for inviting your your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your classmates who need a church to go to, need a church to attend on Easter because most people would attend church on Easter if somebody invited them. And you know what? Many people in our lives, many people in our community, here's the problem. They're, They're upset with God. They're sideways with God. They don't understand God, but, um, if they got invited and you can invite them to come to one of our Easter services, you can say, Hey, just pick the service and I'll sit next to you. And maybe they come in here and all of a sudden they see who God really is. And they see what God has done for them. And God starts to, to draw them and he changes their eternity. And you and I can be part of that. God's given us a better understanding of who he is. And he wants us to use that understanding to reach out and invite more people to meet his son, Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the opportunity today to gather together 
and to talk about a very uh, complicated subject, but a very important subject because it can cause us to have uh, doubts. It can cause us to get upset with you. But God, I pray that today helps us to understand you better and to see you more, more clearly so that we can, can trust you and so that we will reach out and invite people to attend this Easter so they can hear about who you really are and what you've really done for us. God, God we love you and we trust you. And God, God, we thank you for your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.